So uh, Chrissy, my wife, uh, last week talked about uh, suffering. Uh, she talked about how God uses that. Um, and really, this week's message kind of comes out of that. Uh, if Chrissy's message was 1A, this is kind of 1B. Uh, so, and really, because here, here's the idea, because I'm talking about passion today, but here's, here's what we know about passion. Passion comes out of our past many times. Our passions come out of our sufferings. Our passions come out of the things that we struggle with the most. Our passions many times come through the sins that we, we, we don't ever want to give up, and then finally we do. And I'll be honest with you, this, this past week, I have written and rewritten this message a couple times because I've been coming at it at many different angles, and it wasn't until I was reading through a book that I read before by Oren McManus uh, called The Last Arrow, which is an incredible book. And in that book, he, he talks about taking a stand. Uh, he talks about things that you're willing to take a stand for, and really, that's where I'm going to go at today is this idea that our passions are the things that we're willing to take a stand for. And let me just say this uh, on, on the front end. Um, those of you in here that, like, immediately when I say, oh, those of you that take a stand for stuff, there's those of us in this room, including myself, that are incredibly stubborn individuals that never give in on any argument. Uh, they're the type of people like myself who will argue points that they know are wrong just so that they can argue them. That's not what I'm talking about, okay? So for the you in here in this room that are like those, those type of people that all of a sudden when I said you have to take a stand, you're like, yes, I'm already good at that. No, that's not what I'm talking about. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not talking about pride. We'll talk about that another time. Uh, I'm talking about the ability to take a stand for something that is right. And what's interesting to me is what people are willing to take a stand for. Uh, nowadays, it's almost like there's certain things in this world that you're almost like bullied into liking. Um, like, for example, certain movies, right? You ever been bullied into like people have told you like this is an incredible movie. You must like this. And like it wins all these awards and then you watch it and you go like you're not really sure. Some of you girls, you've had boyfriends that have tried to get you into certain movies. Like for my wife, I tried to get her to watch Star Wars, the original ones not the crappy other ones that have been made, but the original ones. And every time I try to get my wife to watch these movies, she falls asleep. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, babe, what are you doing? This is an incredible movie. You should be awake for this. And she's like, it's not that great. Like, I remember I didn't see Frozen for a long period of time. And everybody kept telling me, how Frozen? Frozen's incredible. Like, Frozen's awesome. I, I was working with a guy who was big into Disney movies, and it was kind of weird, but he was really big into Disney movies, and he's like, Frozen is the best movie I've ever seen. So when I finally watched it, I was like, it's all right. Like, it's, it's kind of cool. She turns things to ice and all that, and there's a, a talking guy and all that. But uh, I was like, it's not that great. I mean, it's not just with movies. It's with music, too. Like, last week, I, I found out how incredible the Jonas Brothers are. Yeah. Pretty much any girl under the age of 27 was posting about it on Instagram. Like, it was most of my feed. I'm like, something really big is happening. Here's what's interesting. Like, I, I, I just, I didn't grow up with the Jonas Brothers. I actually was surprised by the announcement because I thought one of them was dead. Uh, like, I just wasn't sure. Like, I was like, wait, they're coming back? How does that happen? Like, I wasn't, but it was like, and what was interesting is I started some conversations with some 20-something-year-old girls about the Jonas Brothers and how I didn't think they were that great. And it's amazing the anger that uh, came out of them at that moment when you decide to go after the Jonas Brothers. But uh, it, it's true, right? There's certain things that people, have you, you've seen people pick fights for things. You're like, why are you picking a fight for this? It's a movie. It's a band. It's whatever it may be. But it's something that they decide is really great. And, and, and what I'm talking about tonight, I really want us to get, is that it's amazing what people will take a stand for, but it's amazing sometimes what people don't take stands for. And really, that's what we're going to look at tonight. So we're going to be looking in the, in the book of Mark in chapter 3. 
And, and this, is a, this is a story about Jesus and, and what he did. So I'm going to give a little bit of a backstory here. Mark 3, verses 1 through 3, it says this. Another time Jesus went to the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Now, I want you to give you an idea of what's happening here. First off, Jesus is doing something that he's not supposed to do according to religious law. He's, he's working on the Sabbath. And then what he does next is he calls somebody out to stand up that doesn't want to. Now, I want you to understand a little bit of the backstory on this. The man with the shriveled hand, this was a big deal. This was someone back then that was not looked at as the same way they would now. I mean, nowadays it's like, oh, that's just somebody that has, uh, you know, that something happened, maybe at birth or whatever it may be, but it would be, oh, that person's still a normal person. Back then it was different. If you had a deformity, you were a sign of your parents' sin. In fact, back then, if you had a deformity, it was almost like your, your, your family wanted to distance themselves from you because you were a sign of something that was bad in their past. And so, and when you went in front of other people, people didn't want to be near you because you were a sign of something that somebody did wrong. And so what this person would probably be trying to do at this point is to be in the backdrop, to be behind. I had a friend that actually had the same deformity, and what he would do is he would always keep one hand over the other or put one hand in a pocket, and I'm sure this guy kept one hand in his cloak, tried to stay in the background, didn't want anyone to notice he was there, and Jesus walks in. And you've ever been in a situation before where you don't want to be called up front, where you don't want to be shown, where you don't want to be talked to in front of everybody else. Jesus walks into the room and asks the man that doesn't want to be seen to be seen. Ask the man that doesn't want to stand up to stand up to be seen in front of everyone. See, I think he wanted Jesus to see him. He just didn't want to be seen. See, it's amazing, though, what we stand up for. You ever watched a football game and saw, saw, see the people that are absolutely, like, painted, like, just painted, like, crazy, all that, and then think, they're going to work tomorrow. Like, that guy's probably like an accountant. And like, he, he, he sits at his desk all week and everybody just thinks he's this mild-mannered person. And on the weekend, he's painting head to toe in like orange and green or whatever that may be, like some awful colors like orange and green or garden and gold. Like just horrible, <laughs> horrible. Some of you get that. But you, you, you think about it, it's amazing. Like people will go nuts, right? Like when it's, when it's certain seasons coming up, you will have people that are the quietest people in the world, but then all of a sudden, if their team makes it to the World Series, they're screaming in your face. It, like, it's amazing what people will come up for. And what I'm saying here is this, is, is God's going, I'm wanting you to stand up for me. I'm wanting you to show yourself for me. Some of your worst nightmares are literally the idea that God would say, hey, I want you to show others where you've missed it. I want you to show others the things and the areas of your life that you don't want other people to see. See, what's interesting about the story in the book of Mark is, what's great about Mark, and if you're, if you're reading through the Bible for the first time, you're like, man, where would I start if I just wanted somebody that got to the point? That was Mark. Uh, Mark was somebody that, here's what's interesting, Mark skips so much of the things the other books did. Mark literally starts off, he doesn't do the genealogies, which if you've read the Bible before, you start reading, you're like, is this the whole Bible? It's like this person begat this person, this person had this person. You know, it's all those verses that you memorize when you're going through a hard time. No. And you're like, why is this here? He doesn't even focus on that. He doesn't even focus on Jesus' birth. He's like, yeah, Jesus was born, that's fine. First 30 years of life, Mark doesn't even, doesn't even pay attention to it. Mark starts off with John the Baptist showing up. No backstory, no anything. He's like, John the Baptist is here. Jesus shows up. He gets baptized. Jesus starts ministry. First chapter of Mark, he gets into where Jesus is starting to do miracles. 
Jesus is going around. He's doing miracles, but he doesn't want people to know what's going on yet. He actually goes up to people and he heals them. He says, I'm healing you, but don't tell anyone about it. He's like, don't tell anyone about it. He, he literally frees these demons from this man and the demons know who Jesus is and Jesus tells the demons, don't tell anybody what happened here. He is trying to stay under the radar, but it's impossible to stay under the radar when you're healing people. And so he is healing people and actually what, well, the first time he heals someone, he actually heals somebody on the Sabbath and the Pharisees don't like it because you're not supposed to do any work on the Sabbath. And later on that day, the disciples who are hungry from a long day are walking through a field and they're picking up grains of wheat and they're popping them in their mouth and the Pharisees are so angry that they're working. You guys, you guys ever been around somebody that's a rule keeper? Pharisees are literally to the next level. They're going, well, God said you can't work. So two things they did there. They weren't allowed to do a miracle. They weren't allowed to pick wheat. And Mark is looking at them and going, hey, here's what's happening. Jesus is doing miracles. And as he's doing miracles, they're getting closer and closer to wanting to kill him. They're getting closer and closer to wanting to take him out. He is taking everything and turning it on its heads. Jesus is already at odds with everything that was going on. See, here's what's interesting is Jesus, we, we have this idea Jesus just came to make our lives better. Jesus didn't come to make our lives better. Jesus turn, came to turn our lives upside down, to change things. And that's exactly what he did in that moment. See, the religious leaders are mad that Jesus healed someone. Jesus is mad that they care. It, it's one of those crazy things. Jesus is going, you don't understand. Man wasn't made for the Sabbath. Sabbath was made for man. You weren't made for rules, you were made for a relationship. See, Jesus is starting to change their entire idea from rules and turning it towards relationship and him. See, Jesus regularly had to confront religion. He regularly had to confront people that were so about the rules, but on the inside, their souls were empty. See, what's interesting is when we look back in Mark, those first two verses, there's something that you catch that's just, it, it, it's so interesting. He says this, says, another time Jesus went to the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he, he would heal him on the Sabbath. See, Jesus walks in. They knew exactly what was going to happen. It says they watched him closely. Here's what they knew. Here's what they knew. They're like, oh, we know this Jesus. What's he going to do? He's going to walk into the temple. He's not going to hang out with the religious people. He's not going to go hang out with just people that want to talk and do whatever. He's going to find the person that's broken. He's going to find the person that's hurting. He's going to find the person that needs him. And they're sitting there going, this is what's so crazy. In the wrong way, they're going, man, it's so predictable like Jesus to care. They're literally going, Jesus, you're so predictable. We know exactly what you do. You're going to care for the hurting person. We can set him up so well. And let me just say this right now. I can predict tonight who is going to experience Jesus. I can predict any night of the week who's going to experience Jesus. And here's what it is. It's not going to be the person that has a facade. It's not going to be the person that's acting like everything is okay. It's not going to be a person that has something on the outside, but something very different happening on the inside. It's the person that is broken and hurting and saying, God, I need you because there's no other way. We can always predict what Jesus will do. If you're wondering why Jesus isn't moving towards you, it may be because your facade on the front is keeping him from you. What we're saying Jesus is. See, God is asking you right now to stand up in a place where you're at. To take a stand and go, it doesn't matter what I think is important. It doesn't matter what I think I need to look like. What matters is who I truly 
am. And here's what's crazy is when you stand up for God and you go to where he wants, that's where you gain the power to do what he has called you to do. It's crazy because once you stand up for God, you find you have the ability to do things you never thought you would. What's so interesting to me is when I go and I talk to people that knew me in high school, because for them, I tell them, yeah, guys, I get up on a regular basis and I talk in front of people. One time I got to speak at, you know, at the main service of Grace Family Church in front of basically 10,000 people across five campuses. And they're like, what? They're like, how does that happen? Because here's why. They knew me back in high school. I'm pretty sure all of ninth grade year, I didn't look up from the ground. Like, I, I assume I talked to girls. I had no idea if I did. Like, literally, I was the biggest introvert out there. I didn't talk to people. I didn't want to talk to people. I didn't want to be a part of talking to people. I'm still an introvert today. It's actually something that still is a problem for me. The idea of being up on stage is something that's only now a little bit easier to do. What's funny is when I talked in front of everybody on the main stage, I was still incredibly nervous. What I love is that we have these mics that are on here because if I have to hold anything with my hands, they shake. There was a moment up on stage where I went to go change just the paper, and I was shaking so badly I had to grab the stand. Literally had to grab the stand. I mean, for me, what's crazy is this, is, is the thing that causes me the most anxiety is not even getting up in front of everybody. It was afterwards going out and talking to random people and shaking their hands. For some of you that are extroverts, you're like, this is awesome. Everybody wants to talk to me. For me, I'm like, oh crap, who's going to talk to me? And I think many times people actually think they talk to me and they go, wow, he's kind of a jerk. I'm not a jerk. I'm just an introvert. I don't know what to do. I've walked away from conversations before in the middle of them because I wasn't paying attention. Literally, to this day, there's a certain person on staff that still makes fun of me for that. They're like, how we were talking about this and you just walked away. I'm like, I thought it was over. I don't social cues. I don't get them all. But what's crazy is God's like, no, I'm going to take something that you feel like is not even possible, and I'm going to make it possible. See, I'm going to take someone who grew up in a church that was incredibly conservative, that was all about rules, where you felt like you could not be yourself. You always felt like you had to have a facade on the outside for anyone to accept you, and I'm going to have you talk about something that you love to talk about, which is grace. See, that's what God wants to do. He wants to take us into a place and give us a power to do something that we don't want we don't expect him to want us to do. And some of you are in a place right now and you're wondering why. Why am I at this school? Why am I in this job? And God's going, whoa, whoa, I have you exactly where you're supposed to be, but I'm waiting for you to stand up so I can use you to reach the people around you. I'm waiting for you to do that. See, God, a lot of us are going, man, I, I just can't wait for God to show up. God's going, I'm just waiting for you to stand up. God meets us when we stand up. See, see, it's one of those things, like, it says in the Bible that God reveals himself through nature, and it's so true, man. You, you, can, you can look at a sunset, you can look at the mountains, you can see nature, you can see God, but not everybody gets that. Not everybody sees a sunset and immediately thinks of God. Not everybody sees these things and immediately thinks of God. And so what God actually does is his greatest way of showing himself is not through nature, it's through a human being. It's through someone in that room. See, what's interesting is why did Jesus want a person whose biggest fear to stand up to stand up? I mean, when Jesus walked in that room, everyone in there saw God, right? Jesus was God. So when Jesus walked in that room, everyone there saw God. But what they didn't see was they didn't see themselves. See, we can get intimidated by Jesus, right? This idea, like, we look at the stories and we look at everything. I mean, I, I've been in this situation. You have two where you've been like, well, what should I do in this situation? Well, Jesus did that. And you're like, well, he's Jesus. 
and it can be intimidating, but once you see someone who is just like you, struggling with the same things as you, and you see God move into their lives and heal them and help them, all of a sudden, you see God. It makes sense at that moment. See, the reason Jesus had him stand up is because he wanted the people in the room to see the glory and the creativity of what God can do through someone just like them. See, what's interesting is you see Jesus later on say, I want you not just to stand up, but I want you to stretch out your hand. Not your good hand, your shriveled hand. The, the, the thing that you are most embarrassed of, the thing that you are most mocked for, the thing that caused your family to move away from you, I want you to stretch it out because I want people to see the facade of who you are die and something new to take place. You know, Growing up in Florida, you don't exactly get to see seasons. Like, we don't have a lot of seasons. We have summer and cold summer. And I've been in Florida since the age of four, so I don't really remember anything else. And one season that I have been, I've been told is incredible is fall in other places. Like, there's, there's definitely some trees in my neighborhood that drop their leaves in fall, but 90% of them is still green and it's, no, it's nothing special. It's like, and everyone thinks the tree's dead because that's not what's normal in Florida. Oh, it dropped its leaves, it's dead. No, it's fall. That's what happens sometimes. But my, my sister lived up in Virginia, and in Virginia they have fall, like real fall, where all the leaves turn yellows and oranges and browns, and then they fall to the ground. It's this beautiful thing. And so my wife, who is a Florida girl also, said, man, I would love to see that. So she went up there and spent time with my sister, and they saw fall and they took pictures, and you see all these pictures, and it's incredible, the beauty in all of it. And here's what's crazy, is many people would say fall is the most beautiful season. It's the most beautiful time, but what's crazy is this, is the most beautiful season is actually an expression of death. It's an expression of death. Expression of something dying so something new can be reborn. Guys, I want to be honest with you right now. One of the most beautiful things someone can see is what happens when you die to your old self and are made alive again in Christ. See, I believe this. It's a beautiful thing to see somebody change. It's a beautiful thing to see somebody work in someone's heart. It would be a tragedy for God to do something incredible in your life, incredible in your heart, and no one know about it and no one to see it. No one to experience. And I'm not saying everybody. I'm not going to put a mic up here and everybody's got to come up here and say everything that's gone wrong. But somebody in your life needs to see it. Family member, friends, coworkers. I don't know what it is, but God's going to do something big in your life in the moment where you're okay with somebody else seeing it. When you're okay with somebody else knowing what has happened. See, God doesn't want to do this in private because he doesn't want others to not know what happens. He wants others to see what happens when they actually stand up in trust in God. See, we want to hide our hand. We want to hide our brokenness. We want to hide our problems. We're like, God, just change me on the inside so it actually matches the facade of perfection that I've already been showing. God's like, no, I want to change all of you to something much, much better. See, what's so crazy is God is doing this. God is healing this man. Jesus is in this room. He is healing this man. He is helping this man. And he sees the Pharisees in absolute disdain. And so what he does is he forms a question, and he asks them this, and they just don't have the ability to respond. Mark 3, verse 4, he says this, Then Jesus asked them, 
which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save a life or to kill. But they remained silent. To do good or do evil, to save life or kill. These aren't hard questions. And to make it easier, Jesus made a multiple choice. Right? He didn't ask them what the meaning of life was. He goes, what, what's better, to do good or to do evil, to save a life or to kill. But they sat there and they didn't answer at all because here's what Jesus was truly doing in this situation. He wasn't really saying what is better, to do good or to do evil. Here's what he's saying. Because his choice wasn't to do good or do evil. His choice was to heal or do nothing. See, what Jesus did, it's not about to do good or to do evil. It's to do good or to do nothing. See, many times as Christians, we're stuck in that middle place. I feel like most of us hang out in that place. It's like we're not necessarily doing anything really good with our lives, but we're not doing anything evil. Not doing anything evil. And what Jesus is saying, it goes, the choices are not between good and evil. The choice is between doing good or doing nothing. See, I think that's our battle today, is do we do good or do we, nothing, or do, we do nothing? Are you doing good or are you good for nothing? But that's our choice. That's what we have to deal with. That's what we have to decide. And what they did is they remained silent because they were so engaged in their rules and everything that were keeping them trapped that they couldn't even believe that there was something better. See, people ask me all the time, what do you think Jesus' position would be on this? What do you think Jesus' position would be on that? And they, here's the answer to all of it. And people always, uh, people always ask him, like, guys, Jesus was never about rules. Jesus was never about policies. Jesus was always about the person. In every situation, in every political environment, in everything Jesus did, it wasn't about the rules. He was like, can I save a person? Can I help a person? Can someone do something better for this person? See, what God wants in your life is not for you to be bottled down by rules, not for you to be cramped by this entire facade that you have to constantly keep up. God wants to look at you and he wants to change you. And what happens is this. When we go through that journey of healing, when we start to stand up in front of God and say, God, I'm ready to be changed, those are the moments where God says, this is your passion. See, it's amazing to me. That's exactly what happened with my wife, Chrissy. My wife, Chrissy, she's gone through so many things. She's gone, had so many things happen in her past, and the, the, the devil was basically telling her this lie. Because of your past, God will never use anything, use you for anything good. And I really thought based on her past, she would go into something maybe sex trafficking or this or that, but she ended up starting a prison ministry because the women in prison believe that same lie. See, here's what's going to happen. Once God frees you from a lie, he's going to show you who you need to help. When God frees you from a lie, he's going to show you who else needs to be freed. And the only way that's possible, the only way that's possible is if you are willing to show the beauty of what a changed life looks like. They've got to see what he did in you so they believe it's possible in them. See, it's crazy. Mark 3, 5 to 6. It says, he, this is Jesus, looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed by their stubborn hearts. They said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. I don't believe people can really understand real love. 
See, what's crazy to me is what they believed what they were going to do is if I kill Jesus, then I end the movement. If I kill Jesus, then I end what's going on. But the problem is this, is you can't kill true sacrificial love. Guys, when we start doing what God wants us to, there will be people that will be against us. There will be people that say, you shouldn't do that. You can't do that. There will be people that want to stop us. But here's what we can know in our hearts. If we're doing things out of true sacrificial love, what we were doing will last through generations. See, what God is calling us to do is not to just stand up and show everybody what's wrong. God's calling us to stand up, be healed, and have a purpose that lasts generations. Be a part of a love that lasts generations. Be a part of a purpose that does that. But the first thing that we have to do is we have to be okay with showing people our hand. We have to be okay with showing people who we really are, what we're really going through, what we really struggle with. That's everybody to bow their heads. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. This is a little bit different, but everybody with their, their heads bowed. Go ahead and reach out just one hand right now. And, and here's what I, wa- I want you to do. I want you to, in your mind, decide what that hand signifies. What is it that you are struggling with? What is it that you are unwilling to give up? What is it that you're unwilling to bring to the light? What is it that you, you're like, man, if someone knew this about me, there's no way they could love me or God could love me. I want you to hold that out right now. And I want to pray for you. I got to pray right now. God, we are all holding out the things that we believe keep us from real relationships, the things that we believe keep us from you. But God, we know this. These are the things that will show the world your power, your glory, your creativity, and most of all, your love. God, I pray tonight that we would not hold on to these things. I pray tonight that we would not keep them inside of our vest. God, I pray that we would not, not cover them up with this idea of perfection that we have for others. God, I pray that we would open them up and say to you, God, I want right now for you to help me. I want right now for you to change me. God, I'm tired of being fake. I'm tired of keeping these things to myself. God, I want you to work through me in this area. And God, I pray that when they do that, you heal them, you show them a love, and then you show them the others that need that same love. God, I am thankful for the passions that you are birthing in this room right now. God, I'm thankful for the healing in this room right now. God, I pray this isn't something that will just end at this moment. This is something that we go home and we continue to sacrifice. We continue to give up every day because we believe you actually have something more. God, I thank you so much for what you're gonna do and I thank you for every single person in this room. And in Jesus' name I pray, amen.